Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Stu Harding and joining me always is the Layman Sports Kingmaker for the North, Derek Brissett. Now, some fans will have noticed that a certain uh, certain host isn't here tonight. Uh, yeah, Daniel is away this week. Uh, it's his birthday on Friday, but it's his wife's birthday today. And seeing as he wants to be alive for his own birthday on Friday, he's decided to spend the day with his darling wife. So, Kat, happy birthday. And Dan, by the time this comes out, it'll be your birthday. So this is a special birthday treat for you. Happy birthday, my man. But Derek, you're here with me. So how you been, man? It's been a while. I'm good. I'm good. I just want I just want to say to Kat, I hope she's enjoying the new car that Dan got him or that Dan got her. No, 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 no. Didn't didn't you hear? He oh. um I, I think it was Bahamas or Jamaica. Oh, nice. so, some somewhere in the Caribbean. I, I only got like the brief details. The but cars, you know, what, the what, cars in the Caribbean, is that what you're saying? No, the cars for now, that's for later. But that, 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 I'm that's just, like I'm just present. that Dan gave you that Alfa Romero hat after he picked up the car from the dealership. So I didn't even get anything there. Well, he did intend to get tickets to the Monaco Grand Prix this weekend, but you know, you, the two weeks you have to isolate when you get back, it 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 wouldn't have worked out. So, you know, Caribbean adventure. Once uh, the restrictions are lifted, so hope you enjoy that, cat. Yeah, I know, cat. Sounds like it sounds like a blast. I wish uh, I wish I could come along, but you know, just enjoy that time with Dan. And uh, yeah, new car, you know, Caribbean trip. You can't complain, right? Um, I like I like how you uh, kind of you know you kind of used used Dan's intro, but I think you kind of made it better there, Stu. Maybe this is something we got to look at uh, going into the future here. I don't know. Uh, how, we'll how see. Did it feel? Did it feel good? It's the first yeah, time you've done it. Yeah, felt, 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 I feel powerful now. Feel in control of everything. Yeah, but well, uh, but go. yeah. Anyway, come on. We've uh, we got a lot to talk about. But yeah, I haven't seen you in uh, was it two weeks now, Derek? Yeah. Oh, it's been so. a while. It's been a while. All right. So I did though. Even though Dan's not here, I did decide that we should start continue Dan's apparently favorite tradition on this podcast, which is starting the podcast by talking about a sport that is not rugby. Mm-hmm. So I uh, figured we'd dive in. Obviously, we are a Canadian podcast, and as members of the Canadian sports media, I feel like we are obligated to mention the Stanley Cup playoffs mm-hmm. because, you mm-hmm. know, Canada, hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, the Leafs and Habs play each other for the first time in the playoffs since 1979. Um, shout out to the MLR schedule maker for giving the Arrows a bye week during this, I'm sure, going to be brief four-game series. The Leafs will kick Montreal's butt. Um, but one of the things that did happen earlier this week was game one between the Tampa Bay Lightning and Florida Panthers, which, Stu, did you happen to catch this game? Uh, unfortunately, I was working at the time, so working you're going to have to fill in the uh, details. Always, you're always working now. That's why you're of, course, of course, of course. Yeah, that's why you're only on every other podcast now. Um, either way, so this game, so Tampa won 5-4, um, a goal by Braden Point in, I think, within the fi- final 90 seconds or so of the game. Nice breakaway goal. And it was a super exciting game. It was one of those games where it was just, it was back and forth all the time. Tampa was winning, then Florida was winning, then Tampa came back and was winning. Florida came back and tied it. Tampa eventually got the game winner. Um, both teams had just under 40 shots. The goalies stood on their heads. Amazing pace. The crowd, which, I mean, 
crowds crowds are back and it's kind of fun not gonna lie um it was electric probably because hey like it's sports for like with fans for the first time in a while and it was great but a lot of the chatter on like social media after this game was about how like was basically just people saying it was like how awesome would that have been if that was the first hockey game you ever saw and then people continually also being like you know like that's the game I'm going to show like my non hockey fan friends to be like, if you don't like this, I get fully give up on trying to convince you to watch hockey. Um, or like, if you've never seen hockey, like that's what you would want. Like everyone's like, that's what your first game should be just immense pace. The physicality of the hits, the speed, um, like some of the goals in this game were gorgeous too. Like just a high level of skill, but with everybody talking about after the game and you know, saying like, hey, like if if I had a friend that never watched hockey before, like this would be one of the games that I would show them. It kind of got me thinking. So I wanted to start the podcast Stu, with you. And unlike Dan, I am going to loop my discussion of a non-rugby sport back into rugby here. All right. But, okay. I'll allow it. Yeah, you'll allow. All right. So my question is, much like hockey fans spent the immediate reaction following this Panthers lightning game, saying that like if if they had friends that have never watched hockey before this would be the game that they would show them or it would be one of the games that they would show them i'm sure people sat down and really thought about it they might pick a couple other ones throughout the history of hockey but it got me thinking so i wanted to start the podcast with this Stu, if you have a friend that has never seen a rugby game before Mm -hmm. which game are you showing them can be a test match, can be a any from any league competition around the world. Um, can be I don't know, can be, you know, your high school game back in Wales. I have no idea. This mm. might have been some classics there. I don't know. Um, mm. any game though, you get one. You get to make one first impression. One on a one. fan. Okay. I feel like All the right. rugby version of determining like which order you show your kids Star Wars, but you know, okay. just a completely different discussion. We could probably talk for like two hours on that on its own. But which game are you showing for the first time? Okay, so if there's a because I had two games in mind, but seeing as you've only said one. Oh no, game. no, okay, no, no. Open discussion. You want to bring up two, oh. like two games that All you're right. thinking. Which games are you thinking? Like, what's in that? Okay, okay. So I have one that's like club level and one that's like test level. So I'll start with like the club level game, and it's got to be for me Champions Cup 2017, I believe, and. Uh, Saracens versus Ospreys. So if you're a newbie, this is the first game you've watched. All you would have heard prior to coming to this, because I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say you know like the basic rules, like oh a try is this much, and you know you can't pass the ball forward and stuff like that. Um, you would have known that Saracens, you know, one of the strongest teams in the Premiership at the time, um, and because this is the first round of the uh, European competition that year, you can't really indicate how it's going to go because, you know, they haven't played any um, non-English competition at the time. And they're going up against the Ospreys. Ospreys, you'll be told, oh, they were great back in the day, but they haven't won anything since 2012. Um, they've had a really bad season. They're starting off poorly in the uh, Pro 14. So, you know, you're... you're exp- and all your friends are saying like, oh, we're going to expect this to be like a 50 nil by halftime to Saracens. Um, at halftime, it was 17 all. 
So expectations immediately, not so much thrown out the window as jettisoned into the sun. Um, you've also got like internationals, as obviously like Owen Farrell was uh, playing for Saracens at the time. Uh, Liam Williams was uh, for Saracens as well. On the other side, Dan Bigger. So it's basically like the uh, English first choice fly half up against the Welsh first choice fly half as well. Um, and in a game where the Ospreys should have been destroyed, uh, Saracens only won by 34 points to 32. So every so even like the losing team went away with not only the tribe bonus point, but losing bonus point. Um, yeah, and great atmosphere. Am I a little bit biased because I was there for that game? Maybe. Ooh, but I mean, uh, that makes it fun though. Like it's yeah. a little bit of a special bond moment to you. I was yeah. I was surprised that you picked the Saracens Ospreys game though, where the uh, the Saracens won. Although there's not too many where the Ospreys win. But. That is a fair point because the second fixture was a 15 all draw in the rain, and I don't think any new fan should be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. however, a draw game that I would recommend, especially at test level is the 2019 Calcutta Cup match between England and Scotland. Um, and again, you'd say, you say, know, you go in, you're not Scottish, you're not English, you're pure neutral at this point. This game has no bearing on the championship itself because uh, Wales had already won it at that point. Um, you, and you go in and it's an absolute tri-fest. But not only that, it's a come-from-behind uh, near victory for Scotland, only to be undone with the final play but you know no one no one who wasn't english or scottish i should and hated that game then for the neutral fan it was like try after try and then all of a sudden it's like a turnaround so you're like oh you know i'll, I'll pick england because england are doing well in the first half and like wait what's this scotland are coming back what what's finn russell doing oh my god what's going on um i feel like every game there's at least one fan that reacts with what is finn russell doing yeah, absolutely. I, you Whether know, it's good I, or bad, it's someone's. I, I think that's why there's a new heart wars being opened in Scotland so people can uh, learn how to have better heart health after watching Finn Russell play. Oh, um, but those are my two picks. Uh, do you have anything in mind? Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's, there's so many. It's weird because it was like, I think you are kind of on to something in a weird way. Like, I feel like. You know, even with the thing that got me thinking about this, it was like, that's a like 5-4 hockey game. It's decently high scoring. It's not crazy, but like, you know, and with you saying like the two games that you kind of picked here, you were like, you know, you kind of, I think you used the word tri-fest at one point during your Mm -hmm. description there. And um, in all honesty, I had not seen this game until COVID um, because, you know, the one, the one weirdly nice thing, I guess, the one, I don't know if you can say there's a nice thing about COVID, I guess. Um, but it's like the one like weird thing is it's like there was that stretch where no sports anywhere in the world were happening. So sports organizers were just like, let's put um, let's just put up a bunch of old games, classic games. And um, I the All Blacks put up a full game on their channel. The first test of the Bledisloe Cup, All Blacks. So All Blacks Australia year 2000 um, oh the uh yeah so you, i'm assuming by your reaction you are aware of what game i'm talking about yes yes i am yeah so i watched it in full for like the first time because they put it up on youtube like this past year and like my like i don't know i like yeah my like mouth was just like dropped like the 
whole game. Um, it's, you know, I mean, it was this like the All Blacks go up. I think it's 21 nothing, 20, like super quick. Australia comes back. And then by the end of the half, it's tied. And then it's just like them trading tries for the second half. Um, like tons of like legendary players in it, like Umaga, Colin, Lomu, Mertens on the All Blacks, um, Latham, Mortlock, Gregan on the, the Wallabies. And like, yeah, man, it's, it's just unreal. It's like you get the big hits, you get the physicality, you get to like, I mean, if someone was new to it, it's like you could be like this, like this Lomu guy was like the is the reason why rugby is popular in a lot of parts of the world um because this guy is a monster and he plays really well in that game too um and gets the game winning try um yeah after the uh, after the final horn too so that game's nuts um but i was also kind of like if you're trying to get somebody to be like a new fan now it's like i don't know if showing a game from like 20 years ago 21 years ago would yeah, be that's, necessarily that's the fast option yeah. um although i'm like i think people yeah although i'm like that's one of the best games ever um but maybe maybe you gotta be a little bit more of a fan to like appreciate it. I don't know if it'd be like your best first game. I think like I guess maybe maybe some like more more recent ones. I think anything from the Lions All Blacks Test Series in two thousand nine or two thousand seventeen was really good. Um, so I, I could go for that. Um, the like I was thinking I was kind of debating the uh, like Springboks Japan game from the World Cup. But I feel like because okay. that game's amazing. But yeah, I was also questioning. It's like uh, obviously like Karen Hesketh's game-winning try at the end of the game, biggest upset in rugby history. But I'm like, is that another thing that it's like for a new fan? Is that too much context to understand why mm. that's so cool, or is it can it stand alone on itself? Um, I thought to um, to I because I don't know. I guess my brain went to like international stuff. Um, but like I was thinking, um, the All Blacks Ireland game from 2013, where the All Blacks were going for their perfect, perfect calendar year, and mm-hmm. Ireland trying to get that win, and then that ending is crazy with Ireland like charging the kick too soon, so um, Cruden gets two shots at the actual game-winning conversion. Um, I think, but I think like if you wanted to go with like a real recent one, especially since there hasn't been a ton of rugby in the past year um all blacks england world cup semi-final i feel like would be a that'd be a super fun game maybe for a new fan kind of like in the same sense that people were being like we would show this lightning panthers game because it's super yeah and it's a like it's a good depiction of what like the current state of the game looks like so i don't know those are some games i kind of thought of off the top of my head i think if you're going like an mlr game i throw in the drop goal game mm-hmm. um and then the the game that happened after the drop goal game the uh the Rooney San Diego semifinal, I think, would also be up there for me if you're just going um, with, you know, some MLR games. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a ton of fun. I would love to hear from from everybody else too. Like, you know, if you, if you got a game that we we didn't mention, or even like, I'm I'm always down to watch some some classic rugby too. If you got something from even older than 2000, that would be fun to watch. Like. Um, you know, send us a message. Let us know. Uh, you can find us at LaRouge Rugby pretty much all across social media. So um, fire, uh, fire a message away. Let us know what games we should be watching. What game would you show your friends that aren't into rugby yet to try to get them into rugby? All right. And speaking of MLR games, we're going to talk about the 
most recent ones at time of recording because in a hour and a half a new one will be kicking off <laughs> um let's focus on the one that we're more invested in the houston versus toronto game that happened at the same time as two other games on saturday as you can tell by my tone completely love the fact that i have to have three screens going at once wow. but um that, but that's let's talk about that it was a I don't know about you, Derek, but I was a ball of nerves when that game was going on. And looking back, I can be like, <laughs> ah, what? what? Why was I so nervous about? And Well, yeah, what were you nervous about? What was giving you trouble? Well, obviously, the Fire and Ice Cup is now in the hands of Atlanta because of that last-minute try. Uh, the previous game against uh, New Orleans, um, they actually left without even a losing bonus point. So I think this was a long overdue victory for uh, the Arrows. And because of Houston's incredible defense, um, I think that, you know, this was an earned victory as opposed to, say, in previous seasons when, you know, you could beat Houston by 20 points or so. That... Um, so I think that I think so. I'd like to compliment Houston for obviously coming so far. In Houston, Houston played Toronto real tight in 2022. Oh yeah, but I think that came down to the final play of the game. Yeah, but on the other hand, um, Toronto finished that game with 13 players on the field, I believe, and 14. so obviously though, it's a little bit different. But but I see where you're coming from. As in, um, they had definitely improved and. You know, this was a game where whoever had the better defense won out. So, and, you know, and Houston did have a strong defense and it was only just like, it was fractured by uh, De La Vega and Diana with their tries. And although I think uh, Montero's was just, you know, hot potato into his hands and then... That was a nice try. You know, two steps and he's already over the try line because he's so tall. Um and then, of course, the Mike Shepard special, but for Houston in the final five minutes, which was like, uh, you know what? It's happened to it's happened in Toronto's favor twice this season. Maybe it can happen to another team. Um, you, know, you know what? Though, like, I think, I, I like, I feel like with that try, though, like looking at this game, it's like um, Houston's defense obviously very played very well, and. I think like Toronto's defense also played incredibly well. Like, I mean, realistically, like you look at it, they allowed one penalty and mm -hmm. to Sam Windsor and the try is a charge down. Yeah. Right. It's like they, like Houston, Houston with ball in hand, um, didn't really generate much of anything. Um, you know, they had that one opportunity where Dickie Dickie Lottie, who I thought played a great game. Oh yeah. No. Like um, great to see him back from injury yeah, as well, and performing so well. He's and a then monster man. Uh, it's yeah, a, like terror. Like he just immediately makes Houston better. Um, but like he he kind of had a nice little move, and then he kicked it through, and the ball rolls into the in goal area, and it was just a race between Boyer and Mirez. Yeah, and Mirez got to the ball first, right? But like other than that, like that was I think the closest Houston really got to yeah. having like a legitimate like scoring threat and then obviously like the, the try they scored is just like you know full credit to garber for 
yeah. know, in position to have that charge down. I'm sure Parfrey might want that one back, but <laughs> it is what it is. And but it's like that's like how they got their points on the board. So it's like the defense, the defense was obviously solid. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say about uh, Mirez's uh, try saver. It definitely didn't help that the commentators were <laughs> saying that. And it's a try for Houston. I was like, yeah. is it though? Is it? The ref hasn't even put his arm yeah. up for the try. I'm like, yeah, nah. I'm, I'm not going to. Yeah. Like it's I, like, I, I just I, like, yeah, like on, on TV, I, I like it looked like it was Mirez for sure. That like got there first. Like, I don't know if it's just like maybe, maybe where they were sitting in the stadium or whatever but um but yeah like that was uh yeah the, that was i think the best scoring chance that houston had all game which says a lot for the way the arrows d played but i think part of the arrows d that was so good was the fact that houston never had the ball especially in the first like literally did not yeah, actually ball. yeah no that is yeah. true it's um, like the reverse situation of against nola in the second yeah, half they, like they um the end of the game totals were the arrows had 64 percent territory and 59 percent possession but like i didn't see the first half split of that and i'm sure it was higher like mm -hmm. because houston got the ball in the second half i'm like they, they houston played better in the second half i think at least with the ball um but it was like the first 20 minutes of this game like in all honesty i think the cameramen at Aviva Stadium could have been forgiven for like literally just pointing the camera at the 22 and like they could have gone <laughs> gone to the, the snack bar had a beer just left and we nobody would have even noticed because that's no. what, the entire the entire mm -hmm. opening 20 minutes um mm -hmm. right from the opening basically the opening kickoff when Windsor put the ball out on the full which is just the most un-Sam Windsor thing you could possibly... Wasn't wasn't the only team to do that, but we'll talk about uh, that later on. Yeah, weird. weird. Um, but, but yeah, uh, you know, I think that may have set the precedent for... Yeah, exactly. And then, like, and literally, like, I wrote in my notes for this game, like, the next time... Like, so the ball is in the air, technically over Toronto territory, but I guess obviously because the scrum. So, like, Brody takes the ball out of the back of the scrum and the arrows enter the Sabercats half. The next time the ball is in Toronto's half, other than after Montero scores and Houston kicks the ball back to them or whatever, is in the 26th minute when Tyler Rowland gets called for not, not rolling away on a tackle and Houston, then Sam Windsor kicks the ball to touch somewhere, I think it was like around the arrows 22. Yeah, it took like, like at least for any meaningful time, it took 26 minutes. And even at that, I think if I recall correctly, the arrows turned the ball over or earned a penalty, like on the first phase after that lineout too, mm -hmm. um, right? So it was like they had they they didn't like Houston just didn't touch the ball, and you know I think when you kind of look at the game, the game and the stats in general, like any team that has 64% territory, 59% possession, and makes 89%, so just under 90% of their tackles. What like what more do you want? Like the other like yeah. you're not like in all honesty, you're not gonna lose if you do that. Like, yeah, um, like you're not you're not gonna lose. But if you if the other team never has the ball, and when they do have the ball, your defense steps up and shuts them down anyways. 
um, like Rumble, De La Vega, Diana, Dominant at the Rucks. Quatrin was good at the Rucks. Paul Cellini apparently teleports in between Rucks. Um, <laughs> he had 31 Ruck arrivals, the monster. Rumble had more total Ruck arrivals or whatever. But like apparently the arrows just like, you know, have portals that they can implement and just bounce to rocks. Um, so like Cellini was outstanding at the rock. Quatr- like Quatrin was making tackles. Everybody that was like on defense, like I can't even pretend to think of like a bad play someone made on defense. If you want to get like super crit- like critical, maybe like a penalty because they gave up a couple penalties, but like nothing crazy. And certainly no penalties where Houston was really able to take advantage of and score other than that one Windsor penalty. Um, so it's like if you can do that, like, like yeah, like you're not you're not going to lose very many games if the other team if the other team can't touch the ball, and when they do, your defense shuts them down. Like, you're not gonna you're not losing a whole lot of rugby games doing that. Um, that being said, though, like same thing like with Houston, like I thought Houston's defense was great and made me feel bad because I said like that they were like the twelfth ranked defense in the league going into this game. And then I was also like, I've made other picks being like, I don't think Houston's defense is very good. And then Houston's defense was like, fine, but Derek, if you don't think it's yeah. very good. Yeah, we're they play took the personal best. offense to that. Yeah, we're going to play our best offensive game against the Toronto Arrows. Um, like, I mean, realistically, from the opening half of this game, I think if you're the, the like, what's the only complaint that you would really have with the is like, maybe you wish there was more points on the board. Yeah. Right. Like there was the one, there was the one play that Will Kelly looked to put Spencer Jones away. I think it was in like the third or the fourth minute. And yeah. Just, just handling error, just dropped the ball. Yeah. And it's no, like, I... okay. So maybe, maybe you want a couple more points, but it's like at the same time, like I will take any stretch of play where it's essentially 20 minutes inside the other team's 22. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so we have been talking about the positives and now we need to talk on to things that we think that the team can improve on. Obviously, they're not playing next week, but they will be up against uh, the Free Jacks in, on May 29th. So I think the one of the issues for me is, and I think it's like you mentioned, there was like handling errors. Um, first of all, there was a... You know, it's um, very hot temperatures combined with high humidity. It was like 75% humidity. I think, um, I think the commentators, the um, they uh, kept bringing up that it was really like windy. Yeah. So, Which so I basically, feel like it's one of those things that never really comes across well on TV. Mainly because... Pressing wind, because there's obviously... clear and there's no real sense of... Yeah. Like, well, well, the flag. You've got corner flags. You've got the uh, touch judges flags as well that... But obviously, they're only up every now and again. So obviously, the conditions weren't ideal for either team. I think there was a scrum at one point, and every player involved looked like they had just come out of the shower. Um, but uh, you know, and I can so I can see where the coaching staff was coming from in the sense of oh, we want to ensure that certain players get two weeks worth of rest, such as like having Taylor Adams um, like out of this game as a whole, like not even on the bench. Um, and the downside of that is that because, you know, Will Kelly hasn't started a game so far this season, he's um, come off the bench a few times. And even then it was with, you know, monumental leads that the only way they could give up is if the arrows just left the pitch with five minutes to go. Um, and 
Pat Parfrey, I think he did pretty well as a fullback, um, but he is listed as a utility back on the uh, team website, and he has performed best this year as like a, as a centre. But obviously, you know, when you're a utility player, you go where you're needed to go. Um, so I think the inexperience is one thing, and I know we were talking about this after the game of, you know, if these are the players that Rugby Canada says, are we halves ready to go? Because, you know, Will Pasillier is, well, Will Pasillier is a scrum half. But either way, um, the idea of like, the if these players are going to be playing for the national team and the Toronto Arrows have this connection with the national team, then they need to have more game time. And I have, I can see in like the other side of the coin is that, you know, if your games are so close, like they were um, last uh, last week against the the um, rugby ATL, you obviously don't want to change anything and risk the flow of the game. But, you know, these guys are going to have to start at some point. And I think we are getting to the point where we can say there are no easy games in MLR. There's not, That's it's a, not like Austin. Not of Eastern Conference anyways. No, absolutely. But you can't um, be like Austin 2019 and just be like, oh, you know, they haven't won a game for an entire season. So we'll just put in like the young boys or the guys that just come back from injury and we'll see how they'll do. And, you know, you got to take some risks with the squad. Um, is there anything? So Derek, do you think there's anything that the uh, Arrows can do to improve? Ah, like from that game, like, like I said, man, I, I'm, I'm stoked with any game where the other team doesn't touch the ball like ever. And when yeah. they touch the ball, they don't do anything with it. Um, so, I mean, like that's, I, from that sense, you make 90, just under 90% of your tackles. The other team doesn't touch the ball. Like I said, you're winning a lot of rugby games if you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, though, like, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. I thought I thought there was a lot of good things that ha- happened in this game. Um, you know, they were able to get a couple, like, line-out steals and stuff, too. Like, I know, like you said, some of the conditions weren't ideal, but, you know, they were able to really kind of make that work. Um, I thought... I thought Will Kelly played really well um, in this game too. Like, um, I think I think T- Taylor Adams, I still think is f- fully deserving to be of the starting ten. But you know, I think I like I like the way like Kelly's distribution of the ball. I thought was was really good at the start. Like I said, it's like he probably could have had an early try assist, um, and then like you know he just kind of like made made some like smart plays. I felt with the ball in hand, also kind of knew when when like you know where to get involved i thought he i thought he did quite well i don't know if he has if he quite has necessarily maybe like the creativity that adams does but i liked it in the game and i think you know it was interesting to see like because i think we have to have kind of eyes on who's going to be the fly half for canada especially now that we got um you know the test matches against england and wales and then you know the the World Cup qualifiers with the United States later this year too. Like we need to. That's one. I think the ten is one of those positions where like you know Kingsley Jones does, does have to figure out what he's going to do with that position. And I think this this was a good game for like you know Kelly to kind of throw his hat in the ring a little bit. And I mean I think he did well. I think. I think it was interesting because I think like if you kind of look at it, like the Toronto Arrows, I think clearly trusted. Kelly to be like 
to play that that proper 10 role and be like the primary like ball distributor to the backs um worked out and you know i thought it worked out well for the most part during the game um but i think in contrast because the other guy that everyone's going to throw in the hat in the ring though is the guy that was on the other side in robbie povey and you know just because like the make the way the game ended up playing out povey i thought was did great on defense um he made a lot of like nice tackles and stuff in the backs the, the thing is though is, is like i feel like the way houston plays i feel like they kind of shelter him from actually being like the key like distributor of the ball it's yeah like, I can, you wear the 10 jersey yeah yeah i can see where you're coming from because yeah like some of his like personal highlight reel from this season have been him breaking away yeah it's then, like, like either offloading or then just finding the gap himself which is you know great for the try and the, the scoreboard but at the same time mm-hmm. you know you need to be a team player as well and it's like what can you do when you're, you know, 70 meters away and kicking's not an option and breaking the line isn't. Um, I think, I think Povey has like a massive boot too. And he used that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Nice, like clearance kicks, um, which, mm-hmm. which I mean, him and Windsor had to do quite a bit of because most of the game was played within their 22. Um, but, but yeah, it was just like, I don't know. It's just, they seem like even like, there was those plays where it was like, you know, like Windsor would kind of like jump into the back line from fullback and it would be like Boyer to Windsor as like the first, the first play quite often and stuff. Then even like, even when, um, uh, like when Win- Boyer got the yellow card, Windsor jumped up to scrum half, right? It was like, yeah. like it was like, like Houston clearly wants Boyer and Sam Windsor, regardless of where, what jersey number they are actually wearing. Like they clearly want those two guys touching the ball the most of everybody on the team. So it's like, I don't know. I just kind of find that interesting. I think if you're looking at like, obviously, you know, you still got to look overseas. There's still like Shane O'Leary still there. I guess Peter Nelson's still there too um, for that 10 Jersey and stuff. But I think like, if you're Mm -hmm. taking that North American perspective, like with, you know, feel feels hurt right now. So, you know, hit any, I, that might, you know, hurt his chances of getting on the squad. Um, you know, depending on how bad that injury ends up being in the long run. But, you know, I think if you're kind of looking at like Povey and Kelly as two of the, you know, two of the better Canadian tens in MLR, I think, you know, if you look at this game as them going head to head, I think round one kind of goes to Kelly if you're looking for, you know, to kind of handicap and put in favors for that Canada 10 jersey. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've uh, mentioned a few player names. Um, so now we're going to talk about our personal players of the match, uh, both for Houston and both for Toronto as well. Uh, so I, I started the last segment. So Derek, um, either team, which who was your player of the match for that team? Oh, man. Um, well, I mean, I think tr- for Toronto... Um, like I, I, I'm sticking with the uh, I'll stick with the MVP of the entire league. It's Lu- uh, Lucas Rumball. I think had another another phenomenal game. He had, you know, the combined you know most ruck rivals combined on both sides of the ball throughout the game. Uh, made a ton of made a ton of tackles. He had a hundred percent of his tackles made. Led the led the team in the most tackles. Ended it at a hundred percent. 
you know, so like that's, I think, I think he deserves some recognition there. But at the same time, I'm like, he's just, he's always good. Um, and then I would also say, yeah, I think you also got to point out like uh, Tommy De La Vega basically did the exact same thing as Rumball, but also set up uh, Montero's try. Uh, you know, he was, he, you know, hopped out there onto the wing and he was able to kind of be that distrib- the, that distributor there. Um, you know, he had some line out takes and stuff as well. Um, so I thought he was really good. Um, I do, I do kind of want to want to point out too, like Paul, Paul Cellini, um, just because like his work, like in all honesty, like fully admitting or whatever, not something that I completely noticed on the first watching of the game. But once I kind of rewatched it and, you know, saw the numbers that he put up, I was just like, this, this dude just does not stop man he was literally at almost every ruck and you know it, it's it was quite an impressive performance he also had at mixed in a line out steal and stuff too um so those are, i guess i guess three guys that i think uh deserve to be highlighted from the arrows um houston you know i kind of thought it was you know a little bit of the same thing it was like it's interesting because i think the two both teams back rows i think were the three best players mm. on each team which is fun really um you know when uh, as far as like a good like rugby matchup goes so like adrian boyce san diego magno cecil garber they all like i mean when you're playing defense the whole game um you gotta make you gotta make a ton of tackles and both of them did um nicholas silveria also made a ton of tackles too in defense he also seemed to be given uh you know the arrow scrum some difficulties early in the match too um but i mean this arrow scrum was at 100 percent on the game so i guess it's not not the most difficult difficulties that he caused but eh, hey and um so yeah i I think like those guys all play great obviously garber had the try um you know immense work rate too like yeah i think like i think ultimately this game was just it was a fun battle kind of between the two back rows and um houston actually ended up with a few more breakdown steals than the arrows which is a huge rarity um Mm. at any time managed to do that um against toronto especially um i did look before this game started and i haven't I, i i will admit that i haven't bothered to do the math on how many breakdown steals everybody across the league got this week um but like there was, there's, I think, five teams in the league that still don't have as many total breakdown steals as Lucas Rumball does. Yeah. Even, I think even, it's like even something like him getting a lineout steal in this game. I feel like there's still going to be probably at least four of them that still haven't got them. Maybe. I, I think it was, I was going to say, I think it was Brock Smith that posted on Twitter that, um, was it Lucas Rumble has, um, it's got 18. Yeah. Eight now has 18, um, turnovers and the next highest in second place is five yeah yeah exactly, exactly. Which is amazing that this second place though is like like six or seven guys tied at five um one of yeah. those guys is thomas de la vega too um so it's like the arrows are like miles ahead of every team i like yeah still totals um but like even with that though, like like Rumble, it's like the next the next closest guys are five. That big group that's all tied at five, or it was all tied at five going into this game. Like, um, I probably should have actually looked at this if we were going to talk about it. Um, what? Yeah, what can? Well, you, you know, we, we're we're just talking about our players in the match. So yeah, exactly, too late. Obviously. But um, 
yeah, like going into this game, Rumball had more breakdown steals than San Diego, NOLA, Seattle, and Utah. Like as far as like the their total combined numbers, he was uh, equal to Austin. Wow. So there's 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 teams that it's like, man, like they uh, like there's there's teams that haven't had as many breakdown steals as Rumball, which is probably evident that the fact that he's got like over. He's got, or at least going into this week, had 13 more than anybody else in the league. Yeah. Which, uh, just the gap of 13 more is still mm-hmm. higher than NOLA, Seattle, and Utah. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously. Or at least it was going yeah. into this week. So, Lucas Rumble's got Lucas Rumble um, MVP is the okay. short of this. All right, fair enough. Okay, so my players of the match. Uh, for Houston, I've, um, I'm going to have to go with Sam Windsor. Um, his experience was vital for Houston. Um, but I but I agree with you. I think the entire back rows of both teams paid, um, you know, great um, dividends. Um, like Diggy Diggy Lani was also phenomenal and, you know, great to see him back and playing again. And if that, uh, if Nick Boy had got to that ball first, I'm sure that would have... Uh, Swayed my decision a bit more, but um, you know, it's one of the things, especially after um, Boyer was like sent off, is well, sent off, uh, sent to the bin for 10. Mm-hmm. Was um, you know, you need uh, composure, you need experience, you need a player that understands and can uh, move from uh, his position into scrum half. So, you know, I think uh, I think he had a great game, obviously, he um, didn't. Wasn't on the winning side, but what he could do, he did well. Um, the exception being the uh, kickoff to start the game. Um, and then I'm going to have to go with the man who has made the MLR team of the week. It has to be uh, Manuel Diana. Um, I was going through the game again and watching his try, just pushing the players back just to reach the line is monumental. And um, yeah, obviously, and Tommy De La Vega as well, you know, stretching out just to, first of all, breaking the tacklers and uh, mm-hmm. heading on through and then just reaching out to score. That's something for the highlight reel. Absolutely. There is, there is um, four black jerseys draped on Thomas De La Vega when he scored that try. Absolutely. And yeah. And neither one of them apparently mattered at all. No. Like no, they're, but, they're just a minor inconvenience at best. Against Atlanta uh, was Atlanta last week, where they they forgot to cover that one side of the ruck. Um, so yeah, Bella Vegas, Bella Vegas. Well, that's a, the the arrows. The arrows uh, probably have the best back row in Major League Road. Oh yeah. Oh, we we've talked about this so many times, but it's always good to talk about it once more. Your points. And w- Absolutely, and the guys have proved it, and in doing so, have earned a well-deserved, both a well-deserved victory and a long overdue bye week. Yeah, I know. But there were now five other games that happened uh, that weekend. Yeah, and that now normally I would talk about, but I don't want to talk about a game, so to speak. I don't even want to talk about a team. I want to talk about a venue. Because my word is SoFi Stadium, amazing. 
And I am insanely jealous for all 4,880 fans that were able to get tickets to see that game. Because, you know, you know what? I'm going to call it. If uh, the 2031 World Cup final, SoFi Stadium. Oh man, I mean that would that would be that'd be cool, man. Um yeah, it looked like maybe I'm just like I just don't watch enough football. And if I do watch football, I'm probably not watching the Rams or the the Chargers. I'm definitely not watching. Um but I don't even think people in LA watch the Chargers. Um actually my roommate in college was a huge Chargers fan, so I'm just more or less chirping him. Um but yeah, oh, but like I've never really paid attention to this stadium, but like, oh my god, like that screen at the top, that like, yeah, down, oh. um, like dude, it it looked amazing. Um, <sighs> I, know, I know a couple people kind of like were ripping on like the football line still being there, and then like the post kind of had the weird thing behind it too and like we we can't we can't complain about that we've been to alumni field we've been to uh lamport stadium you know you make do you make do i mean football lines do not phase me at all no Um, i think the only confusion was that the rugby lines were yellow and then obviously the the white lines so the only thing is like whenever i watch like rugby on like football my brain still keeps like I like my brain still keeps thinking like the out of bounds line for football is the touch line for the rugby too, and it's like I keep like mentally resetting on that. Um, but like I'm like like you know this game was this game was the game was really good too. Oh yeah, um, and and you know I remember saying this one time before is that we were talking about having a TMO and if that if there was going to be any team that would have TMO capabilities, it would be LA. Yeah. Well, we got to see a uh, try that wasn't a try in beautiful 4K, <laughs> and then it got called <laughs> off because of a TMO. Yeah. Obviously not available to um, the supporter, uh, to the fans watching around the world or on the rugby network. But... Um, yeah, we get to see uh, John Ryberg um, fluff a try. What did you think of that, though? I'm curious. I know we kind of butted heads on TMO, but I'm curious. I'm personally torn on it. So I think because ultimately what a TMO is there to do is to ensure that the correct call is made. And, yeah. and that's what happened because originally the try was given and then they had to confer and then they found out it wasn't. And, you know, um, obviously it wouldn't have made a difference in terms of like a losing bonus point or anything like that. And then, of, of course, LA immediately scored a try. So they like 30 seconds later too. Yeah, so, you know, swings and roundabouts. But uh, I'm... See, the thing is, though, is it's like... I don't know. I'm torn on this, though, because I think... I think, on one hand, like, you're correct. And Ryberg... Like even I believe it was Dan Power on on the call, like they saw it immediately, right? Like that Ryberg dropped the ball when he went to ground, and Ryberg a hundred percent dropped that ball. Oh yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And that thing is like he stands up, and all the LA players are coming around to congratulate him. Yeah, but his face is. Stone cold. He knows that he dropped that ball. He knows that wasn't a try. And I think too, because it was like I think also like like LA didn't put up much of a fuss about it either. 
Um, yeah. But it was like, the reason I'm torn on it, though, is just, it's like, that try counts in every other MLR stadium. Because, yes, right? So, like, I think, yeah. I think that's, because, you know, if you listen to it with um, Derek Summers on his mic, he was kind of like, you know, they're showing the replay. Um, the, you know, commentary team is analyzing the try. It's like, oh, like Goddard did this really well and Ryberg was open down the wing, blah, blah, blah. Right. And as they're kind of doing that, you kind of hear Summers be like, kind of du- does the, like the double blow the whistle, solves for the time to come off and, you know, calls the captains over. And he was just like, and he was just like, look, like there's, tw- I think he says like, there's 12 screens here. Like I can't yeah. ignore this, right? Yeah. Like, I can't ignore it. I can't like play on. And I'm kind of like, it's like we can't like you know because Utah, Utah's freaking out. And I mean, they should be like, yeah, yeah, entirely. Yeah, yeah, they, they're justified. Um, I'm not saying like, and and it's but it's just like, and like that's kind of why I'm torn on it is because as as like I'm almost like should Derek Summers or like should the refs should everyone have just been like. Hey man, there's no TMO in this league. Like we can't reverse that call, right? Like I know it's on this gigantic 4K TV because we're in a five billion dollar state of the art NFL stadium right now. Um, and you know what I mean. But it's like, but like, hey, like the rule rules are rules, right? Like I can't reverse it. Um, but I guess you know they they ended up doing. And like I don't know. I think that's kind of why I'm torn on it though. It's just like. At the end of the day, it's the right call, which is a good thing. Yeah. But it's also just like I think, you know, it's it's a bit of a it should be a bit of a gray area, I think, because I think on one hand, you know, it's the right call, but it's like on the other hand, it's like I think you either have to play either in the rules of a league competition throughout an 18 week schedule plus playoffs. I think you either have to play with every game has TMO or no games have TMO. And I don't think you can play with some games have TMO if you happen to be in a really nice stadium. Or whatever. Yeah, I, I, I can understand where you're coming from. Not TMO, but like, you know, if that game, for example, was at Lamport Stadium, right? Yeah, no, no chance. That, that try counts. Yeah. There's no screens anywhere. And I'm not 100% sure about every other stadium in Major League Rugby because I haven't been to all of them. And sometimes you just can't see them on TV. So I don't know how many actually have screens and stuff. Well... Well, something from if I'm the Giltinis and you're gonna go back there, I'd it's, I'd tell all the scoreboard guys to not put replays of tries up. Yeah, well, this is the thing is, um, and I know this from working in um, rugby TV production in the UK, is that the um, TMO unit and like the replay cameras and things like that because sometimes because they're not always the same as the broadcast cameras and that's why when it's you know test matches you get like five different angles of if a try was okay or not um but they those are obviously like five different guys working those different angles those different cameras trying to find that stuff but it's the same reason why say for example at um so far we didn't have like a spider cam up in the rafters to get like like cinematic shots because this is the, this is something I found out a like over a scrum, yeah. Well, well, this is something I found out is that if imagine um, you know a standard uh, Six Nations Test match um, with all the cameras they have around, adding a spider cam 
doubles the entire budget of that broadcast production. Expensive. Absolutely. And you know what else is expensive? Having a TMO and yeah. having all the cameras required for a TMO. So I think, um, I think I remember uh, for 2020, um, the league said that uh, the playoffs would have TMO availability. That doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, you could see it on in the uh, crowd because not all um, like monitors will have the ability to show like the live stream. Like, I know at Alumni Field, for example, they definitely didn't have those capabilities. But, you know, if you can, so let's say that they do carry it over for 2021 and it's only like three games is then you could then have a TMO for like the Eastern Conference Final and the Western Conference Final. And then depending on which uh, conference hosts the grand final, that, and so let's say hypothetically. The problem is still like you need a stadium that can do it. Well, you need, you just need, you just need places to put cameras and a OB truck. Yeah. Really. So you could you could do it at uh, Lamport Stadium. I wouldn't recommend it, but you could do it. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I so but I do understand where you come from of like saying like it has to be. It's either okay for all or it's okay for none. Well, to me, it's either all or none. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, the reason I'm torn is because at the end of the day, that's the right call, though. So. Hey everyone, uh, just listening back to that conversation that Stu and myself had regarding the John Ryberg try that was called back by Derek Summers during the LA Utah game this past weekend. I I feel like we just kind of used the word TMO a little too much during that conversation. So I just kind of wanted to make sure it was clear that obviously there wasn't an actual TMO at this game. It was just that, you know, Derek Summers saw the play on one of the screens inside SoFi stadium. So you know, we probably used the word TMO a little bit too much during that segment because that wasn't really what the original conversation was about. Um, I just figured I'd jump in for a quick second just to clear up any confusion on that. What actually happened is, of course, Derek Summers just saw the play on the screen, realized it was a knock on and decided to reverse it. I'm still not sh- I'm still torn on if that was the right decision or if he should have been allowed to do that but at the end of the day it's the right call so i suppose it's a good thing but it couldn't happen in every stadium so that's the other side of the argument still so i'm personally still torn but i just want to kind of clear it up that you know in case because we use the word tmo probably a little too often there that you know obviously there was no actual tmo at the game so i just figured i'd jump in and uh, clear that up a little bit in case there's any confusion anyways back to the rest of the podcast yeah Really right, we right. We've been talking about uh, technology and a stadium for far too. We've talked about, um, you know, one player who didn't score a try in that game. I want to talk about a player that did, uh, Corey Thomas. You know, um, well, Aussie born, uh, Canadian eligible. You know, I think he had a pretty good game. Obviously, uh, picking up the uh, fourth try that secured LA's bon- uh, try bonus point. You know, not something to snub out. I would have talked more about uh, DTH, but, you know, he only came off the bench. So, I mean, you know, I'm only joking. Uh, DTH, obviously, still a big fan. Uh, but if you but, uh, pointed, he didn't score a try. He's still on a yeah. try per game pace. 
Mr. Yeah. There. Well, that's the Angus Cottrell has overtaken him for most tries scored by a Giltini's player. So, can't have that. He also got yeah. Cottrell also got player of the week. That dude was a monster. Yeah. No, absolutely. And um, oh, uh, the name's completely slipped my mind, but he's um, recently returned for LA and you know had a huge impact throughout the game. Uh, Billy Meeks. That's it. Uh, no, he had a great uh, performance as well. Um, uh, your favorite player too. He, he... Oh yeah, cool. yeah. But I, but any times Ryan James is on the field, he's going to have a good game. Like I think, I think we all know that now. Um, yeah. You know, and a try assist um, for her, Harrison Goddard as well for that seven pointer. Um, I did find it funny the commentary was saying like, "Oh, was he offside? Oh, but the try. Oh no, that's not offside. There's no um, issue with that." I'm like. Well, if he'd been offside, then the try wouldn't have counted. But, you know, semantics at this point. Um, shall, we, you know, shall we talk about a different game at a different stadium? Shall we embark down, uh, continue with in California? Why leave the state? Yeah, let's, let's say in California. Let's, uh, let's head uh, to the Olympic uh, training facility as well in uh, so, Chula Vista. Chula? Am I pronouncing that? Um, so... so um, oh, sorry. Hang on. I need to get a towel. I'm wiping the egg off my face for choosing Nola over San Diego. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, you went, you went literally, I think everybody else did. Uh, yeah, San Diego, 43. Nola, 17. Who would have saw that come? Oh, my Lord. I mean, who, who would have who thought that just being within 20 minutes of where they all live would suddenly make them all better players? Uh, Africa, two tries. McVeigh, try. Peterson. Oh, Peterson's try was energy to score his try. Scores his try, goes off to recover for the next thirty-five minutes. I, I loved everything about that try. That nice, the goal line, stand, yeah. the turnover, um, Basson. I think like getting the ball out and Peterson just hundred meter dashing it. And, yeah, and then no. having enough energy to put up the conversion and yeah. then leave. And leave. Yeah, that was amazing. Just oh, arrive, wow. raise hell, leave. That was just it, boys. My contribution is done. It's like this game is yours. Yeah, um, we're winning by twenty-five. You're not going to blow this. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think one of the issues for both teams was um, in discipline because there was two yellow cards apiece, and obviously, um, I think, well. Um, San Diego did handle it better because after they got their first yellow card, Africa uh, scored another try. I now, th- now I'm going to be controversial here, and I'm going to say that before you say that, though, just if you're going to, Nola actually only took six penalties in this game. Thirty-three percent of them happened to be yellow cards, but only six. Yeah. Um. So I was trying to find because obviously my uh, former Osprey Hanno Dirksen got a yellow card as well in this game and i was looking at that and i was like i'm pretty sure i saw him getting hit i if he gets a yellow card surely the other player that put that connected their arm whether it was forearm or bicep to his head should also be sent to the bin Refs always see the second one man the comment the the comment it's like a law of all contact sports always see the second but Either way, I don't think it would have made much difference. But you know, this is this is the San Diego that we remember from 2020. 
well, not I've like yes and no. I mean, Nola had kind of weird, like Nola had 61% possession, 57% territory. They couldn't, much like the first game against Old Glory, they could not score. Yeah. Once they got down there, and every single time San Diego touched the ball, they scored. Oh, yeah. No. And as evidence of that Peterson try, where it was just like, you just, you, you know, you bang away at the at the try line for like five minutes. Yeah. They get one turnover, and 15 seconds later, you're there's seven points on the board. Yeah. It, but I think, which you kind of like, I mean, you look at this. Nola had eight. So with all that territory and possession, Nola had 18 turnovers. 18. It's disgustingly high. Um, yeah. Well, you, you don't win games when you uh, get turned over. Yeah, they also only had 81% of their tackles made. So you're turning the ball over, and then when San Diego gets the ball, you can't hit anything. Yeah. Oh, so that, that was a problem. Um, um, I think, though, in this game, we got to shout out Michael Smith. The man has been freed. Oh, yeah. He's been freed, and it's delightful. <clears throat> Second yeah. straight 80-minute shift. Oh, my goodness. 23 tackles. Um, you know... 23 tackles made uh just you know he attempted 25 so still a really high percentage there um 18 offensive rocks nine opposition rocks um don't demand he was unreal in this game and you know like just all over the pitch immense work rate made his tackles you know san diego did have to play quite a bit of defense in this game and Dude, like he was, he was everywhere, man. He was a menace. He was an absolute nuisance for the team. Um, he picked up, I think he picked up like a lineout steal at one point too. Yeah. Um, just absolute monster game from him. Um, yeah. so it's like that's, that's. I mean, that's that's bro- that's brilliant to see. And I mean, like, you know, maybe maybe uh, learning a little something from uh, his buddy Chris down there. But yeah, you know, it's it's working out, man. Like these kind of. It's kind of like his game that we saw at like UBC was just yeah uh, like kind that. of like in in much in, in a very like I guess a similar style of like Lucas Rumble kind of built players right where they're just yeah you know they're they're months like you get into a breakdown with them you're going to lose um, yeah. so it's great great to see him kind of as a bit of a breakout game for him I felt um, Bailey Howard were okay I mean, yeah. They played off. They played on a team that got blown out by over twenty. So yeah, so not so much you can talk about. Right now, we've talked about uh, one game in Texas. Shall we talk about the other one? Sure. Okay, because it was. Now this is the thing. If you thought that uh, Houston versus Toronto was a defensive effort and like a war of attrition, boy <laughs> howdy, Austin was uh, ready to be like, okay, we're gonna make it weirder. Just Are you like saying we, this is not the game that you would show your friend that hasn't seen? Right this now? is definitely not the game I would show my friend. This is uh, the game I would show my, uh, you know, rugby diehard purist friends, because I mean it started off well for uh, New York. You know, Holland's head stepping up to the plate. You know, um, I've also now realized it's been two whole games where yeah. New York haven't scored a try. See, that's what I was kind of wondering. Like, can they? Do they have they forgotten? Can they score a try? But like, is this a concern for Rooney? Is they've gone like? Well, I'm trying to think of when their last try was the game before. 
what like when they beat LA or no I guess sorry when they beat LA they didn't score any tries so I'm just trying to figure out when their last try was before can't really think of it off the top of my head here but it's been at least 160 minutes without scoring a try now yeah so the last game uh the last game where they scored a try was against Seattle in the 72nd minute it's been 168 minutes since they've scored a try yeah so that's that's a long (laughs) time man like and like even like i mean even austin austin is not a very offensive team like no they're very good at what they do which is why they're at the top or near the top of the standings right they're Mm. they're very good at playing defense they're very good at winning lineouts they're very good at like kicking for territory and controlling that. And they're very good at combining all three of those things into winning rugby games. Yeah. But like, I I don't know, like even like in this game too, right. It's another one where it's like Rooney only had four, like Rooney 41% possession. Like they're barely touching the ball. Um, It was, the ball was in Rooney's half deep in Rooney's half for most of the game too. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, like, I don't know, like, it's just, especially for, like, a team, like, Rooney used to be able to, like, even earlier this season, like, Dil- like Dylan Fawcett is probably one of the best in the league, and everybody was always fearful of the Rooney lineup mall. Yeah. It's like, they, they would destroy you, and then Fawcett would be among the league leaders and tries, because he was the guy that capitalized on that all the time. And they're not, they're not even getting that, like, they're not even getting that to go right now. Right. Mm-hmm. So like I like mm-hmm. I don't like obviously where they sit in the Eastern Conference standings, you wouldn't yeah. like it's it's one of those things though. Hold on, I'm gonna pull up the standings real quick here. Um because it's you know, I know people have been looking at you know their point differential. Right. And being like, you know, can you be minus 46 on point differential and maintain your spot at the top of the standings or whatever? And it's like, and I suppose you could because I know like they got blown out twice. Yeah. Or whatever. So, I mean, two of their three losses were blowouts, um, but they're, they're five and three with a minus 24 or sorry, with a minus 46. So like Mike, it's like at what point though, do you like? Do is that a reason for concern that you can't score and your point differential is that bad despite the fact that you're mm. five three? Because yeah. right, the last two games, like they don't have, like we said, they don't have a try since. And yeah, and that's the thing that their next game is coming up against the Free Jacks, and we know that New York and New England get along so well in so many other sports. Um, friends, but that but they're also going up against Dougie Five. Yeah. You know, one of the leading try scorers of uh, 2021. And the question is, will you be able to stop him? Will you be able to counter him with tries of your own? Because even against uh, Seattle, they scored only the two tries, I believe, if I can find the right. Yeah. Uh, they scored two tries and um, Seattle scored three. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously they scored more points overall, but... It's the same uh, issue as in, you know, points win games and you've got to score more. And the best way to do that is tries. Um, 
I also want to talk about, uh, on the other side, I want to talk about uh, Mac Mason. I thought that he had a pretty good game, you know, matching um, Holland's head for kicks. And uh, yeah. Right. Shall we, uh, let's move uh, closer to the home away from home, back in the snake pit this time with Atlanta and the aforementioned uh, Free Jacks. What do you make of this game? Yeah. I mean, like, I thought it was kind of close. And then um, Atlanta kind of pulled away at toward the end of the game. Um, you know, it was uh, like from a Canadian perspective and stuff, it was, you know, it was all right. Heaton, Heaton was okay. Larson was also okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah it was, it's just kind of like, I don't, I don't think the score kind of does this game justice too much. I mean, when you get two yellow cards yeah. on the 70 minute mark, it's yeah. never going to look good. Yeah. Exactly. Like that's that's what I mean. Like right down, like pulled away. Um, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting though, with like I think the New England set piece really, really struggled throughout the game too, right? The scrums were not good. Um, you know, that and then obviously like, you know, guys like Johan Momsen and Marno Redalingos, um, you know, kind of made absolute nuisances of themselves at their line out too. And, you know, it wasn't wasn't necessarily overly effective. For New England, um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm still like I, I don't even know how it really had a. I feel like Atlanta still plays one of the best defensive systems in the league, and you know it kind of goes to show. I feel like they're one of those teams that kind of almost kind of like the Springboks are incredibly comfortable playing without the ball, and you know it's, yeah. it's one of those games that you know kind of shows it. Okay, and that leaves us with the final fixture of the weekend, uh, DC versus Seattle. Um, yeah, Seattle started strong, mm -hmm. I'll admit, and then uh, DC were able to get back in, and then Seattle uh, scored again, and uh, more penalties, and uh, then Ross Neal's try. And then, uh, you know, and then obviously Threat and Palamo uh, scored to even everything, um, to get back within one point, and then... Uh, Tonsei Feige uh, scored in the second half, and but that was the only score. Um, and this is the thing I want to say, like obviously from a Canadian perspective, congratulations uh, to Doug uh, for scoring the try, the second try. But it did tries in back-to-back -back games since he returned the lineup. Yeah, but at the same time, it's also it's almost kind of like yeah. Uh, you are on paper, scored the try, but it was really... Um, oh, my God, his name's skipping for me. Tusatala? Sorry. Tus yeah, Tusatala, um, you know, did all his winning and probably could have scored that try himself. Obviously, uh, being very selfless and, you know, drawing in the defender to offload to Doug. Um, it's one of those tries I'm, like, on the fence about. Of, I mean, it was a good try, but did the right person score? I mean, from a, from a team perspective, it's like, who cares? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, they won. That's yeah. what matters. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's uh, after, you know, a uh, successful game against uh, San Diego the previous week. Um, Seattle have just uh, fallen back into another rut. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying like the game last week was... Um, you know, oh, this is the Seattle we've known since uh, 
2019, stuff like that. This it, we're now back into Seattle from 2020 again. Um, it's it's not great. It, it's it's disappointing uh, to see, yeah, but um, kind of a weird season for them too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another game too that um, you know Old Glory won this game without having much of the territory too. So yeah, so. It is what it is, man. Seattle had 16 turnovers to Old Glory's nine, so almost, you know, nearly double, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – yeah, I don't know. It's It's been such a weird, weird season for Seattle, and I know, like, they're kind of getting some reinforcements now, and maybe there's still some hope that they can kind of turn it around. But um, Old Glory, too, man, very interesting season. Like, I feel like they're kind of – they're kind of playing well, but they're just they're just trapped in the Eastern Conference, and you yeah, know, need something to kind of pull them out of the uh, out of the basement at some point. Um, well, interesting for Seattle is that um, their bye week is round eleven, with so uh, two weeks up. So they have one more game. It'll be against uh, ATL at Starfire, mm-hmm. and then they have uh, their final bye week. So I don't, and that's the I don't know if that will make them better. Um, in the long term or you know just keep it's also like gloss over the, the problems be- the schedule is so weird too like there's so many teams that had a home loaded first half of the season that are going to be on the road the whole time and there's a lot of teams that are the opposite of that right like i think i think it's yeah i, th- I think that's an issue to do with like local climates and yeah. things like that and it's more manageable for certain it, teams to play at NOLA? certain locations yeah is it nola that has a six game road trip uh, I've, I'm just yeah. I'm just looking at the overall uh, list, and of course I go to the one week where Nola have a buy. But uh, one, two, three, buy, uh, four, uh, five, definitely five. Um, let me just check. Five games. Yeah, six. Five. Yep. That's that. Yeah. That their last home game is June fifth. Like even I think even like the arrows and stuff too. I know like Rumble did an interview with Ben Foden on like the rugby network, and he was even trying to yeah. talk about like they do have a lot of home games in the second half. So even for them, like you know, home away from home, but it's going to be nice to at least just not have to travel every week. Um, even when games already this year, they had to play in Nola too, right? So they travel to a home game. Um, but I feel like you know we we don't. We don't have too much time left, Stu. So, what would you say we move on to uh, some news stuff? Yes, let's get straight into the news. So, um, from Rugby Canada, they have had their AGM and they have a new board of directors for 2021 22. Um, some familiar faces are Phil Otto, Karen Parkin, Jeff Hassler as the player representative, Isabel Livia, David Fortier, Bill Webb. Uh, Maria Sampson as the Governance Committee Chair, Steve Swaffield as the Treasurer and Finance slash Audit Committee Chair, and um, taking over from Tim Powers is Sally Dennis, the first uh, woman who is the Chairperson for Rugby Canada. So congratulations to everyone on the board. Um, In other news, if I can find my notes, there they are, um, we have... Uh, Rugby Sevens has now officially been included in the 2025 Canada Games that will take place in St. John's, Newfoundland. Um, 
it's weird to be talking about future sporting events and not seeing the idea of them being cancelled uh, because of COVID. So here's hoping we're in a situation where we can book a holiday to Newfoundland and uh, <laughs> witness rugby seven men's and women's rugby sevens take place uh, on Canadian soil. Oh, that feels it feels weird to say. It just feels weird even me saying it. It's uh, you, but if we're talking about uh, rugby on Canadian soil, hopefully we'll be able to experience that this year because World Rugby have confirmed the Rugby World Cup 2023 pathway for the Americas. So I'm just going to explain the route that Canada will be taking. And, you know, I hope I can explain this as clearly as possible. If not, um, tough. Uh, okay. So, uh, Canada will face the United States. Um, they'll face in Canada. They'll play them in Canada on September the fourth, and away on September the eleventh. Uh, the winner will become Rugby America's North One or Ran One, and the loser will become Ran Two. Um, at the meet, at the same time that's going on, there'll be a competition in uh, South America uh, for South America One and South America Two. So, Ran One will face uh, SAR One on October the 2nd and 9th, and the aggregate winner of both will become America's one for that pool stage. Uh, at the, now, these dates haven't been confirmed, but uh, the other thing will be then RAN 2 will face South America 2 on home and away, and the aggregate um, will then face the loser of the uh, America's one uh, competition. And that winner will become America's two. And the person who lost the America's two match will then go into the repercharge tournament. Um, so Derek, it's a different pathway to what we're used to. Um, there's a guarantee of facing South American opposition as opposed to the US or Canada being America's one. Um, what do you make of it? And what are your what do you think Canada's chances are? to either be America's one, America's two um, in the repertoire tournament or, God forbid, knocked out. Oh, God, I hope we're not getting knocked out. Um, that's like doomsday. That's doomsday scenario there, Stu. Um, I think, I think, like, in every year, so it's, it's like, um, I guess, like, step one, always just beat the United States. It's always, like, you know, that's, you know, that's a good start. If you can pull that off, it does kind of... I do in all honesty, really like the idea of, you know, more South American teams kind of being incorporated in as opposed to just like win or lose against the United States. And that determines if you're going like the repishage or not. Um, so like, I mean, I do like it. I think, you know, the, the South America in teams, like, you know what I mean? Like Uruguay, even like Brazil, Chile, like, I think, I think that'll be a fascinating tournament to watch too. Um, I'd probably back like the thing is right is like I would back Uruguay to probably come out on top in that and then yeah and then like like and I, I think you kind of look at like Uruguay has done a lot of damage to Canada and even the United States um, in recent yeah. years so I think like you know that that first that America's one spot I think you know what I mean like there's you know, if you get by the United States, you still got to deal with Uruguay. So that's, that's going to be a challenge, I think. And, um, right. So it's, you know, I think, 
you know, maybe maybe you got to go into it or whatever. Like, it's interesting that the loser still gets a shot to be America's two. If I'm re- I'm reading that, or if you explain that correct, so I- yeah, no. so so whoever doesn't become America's one will face the next level of competition, and if they win that game or that set of games, they'll become America's yeah. two. So it almost seems like I don't know. Is my math right? Like if you beat if Canada beats the United States or the winner of that game, we'll just say, like if the winner of that game, I feel like do you, do you get like an extra shot at being at qualifying? Is that how that ends up kind of working out? So so yeah. it's a series because each game will be home and away. So yeah, but like let's say yeah. let's say Canada becomes uh, Rugby America North one, mm-hmm. yeah, and then they face we'll we'll say Uruguay. For the sake of simplicity, and on aggregate, Uruguay beats them. Canada that will then face either the US or, and this is a team that I think is going to be uh, South America Rugby Two, Chile. Okay. And um, so, and they'll have a series. I'm now. I think they should have that at the same time because why not? Um, and you know, it just makes it a bit easier. But that's obviously for World Rugby to decide. But then- and. Loser. And then the and then the America's two series playoff that hasn't been given a date. All all we know for sure it's definitely before November twenty twenty two, which will be the Repercharge tournament. Um, so so let's say if Canada uh, beats the United States in their first series and then loses uh, their second series to Uruguay, they would then have the opportunity to play either let's say USA or Chile. And the winner of that series will become America's too. You know what? I think hearing you explain it like that, that's that's a harder road, I think, yeah. than previous World Cups. And and this is the thing, it's like um obviously we know how well Uruguay have done, but having seen the uh South American Four Nations tournament last year, uh Chile are contenders. Mm-hmm. I, I know people are talking about like, oh, Brazil has come a long way. Chile's actually been, they've built a high performance center. It's come along. Now, I will explain all those games were um, those national teams like 15, so they were uncapped games. But they beat Brazil and they beat um, Uruguay. And they were within, uh, I think it was one or two points of beating um, Argentina as well. So now, obviously, again, no squad had a full. Um, national 15 but i guess um if there is a team that is going to fill that south american rugby second place my money's on chile i think uh, I, i'm going to be watching that tournament regardless um i think it's going to be it's going to be one um anyone to watch but my money is on chile um going second i will uh, make an apology if they get eliminated before they even make the tournament to decide who's going to become South American. Too. But I think they're playing Paraguay, who's a good twenty or so places below. Um, again, again, we're just trying to focus on um, Canada's involvement, right? So I know that the Arrows aren't playing this week, so none of these really matter. But it is time for predictions. All right, so, now. Now let now um, so let us explain. So um, so the time is, so we're recording this on Wednesday, and it's less than thirty minutes to the kickoff of the Austin uh, versus LA game. Despite the fact that people are going to know, yeah, I know we put so, it up, but I, like, what, what do you think? So I've said 
And based on their defensive stats so far this season, I'm going to go with Austin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, best offense versus best defense, right? So, I mean, I'm still – I'm going to go with LA, though. Um, and realistically, uh, um, I'm I only – like, I mean, I think LA's offense, I like, could prove to be too much once again because they – um been kind of a juggernaut force this year but uh i also mostly picked it because you and dan both said austin and i thought that was nuts um uh, we're not you know who else say austin but do you know who else went with uh austin uh who didn't go with austin went with la Toonie. the toonie Toonie's a so, um, so that decision was made prior to recording this podcast and okay, so definitely prior to uh, the release of it. See what happens. Everyone, everyone's going to know the result of that um, by the time this actually gets released. All right. Yeah. Uh, so we yeah. have the Saturday. So, yeah. Do you want to explain uh, about Daniel's situation? Yeah. So Dan's not here. Um, and uh, I guess, uh, you know, celebrating the birthday. So he just sent us our picks. Um, so we got uh, Dan picked Utah in the Utah versus NOLA match. Mm-hmm. Um, Stu, well, what do you say? I think Nola do have an edge when they're at home. I think it's, um, but then again, they also lost to Austin at the gold mine. Um, and Utah have, uh, you know, they've they managed to get the bonus point against LA, um, which shows they have they play for the full eighty minutes or even. To be more accurate, they fall 82 minutes that they played. Um, they also came off a, a great win against DC, again, because they played to uh, the full 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, and especially after my a game that everyone predicted that Nola would have walked all over San Diego. Um, you know, maybe... Maybe the gold isn't shining as brightly as uh, we once thought. So, you know what? I'm going to go with Utah. Nice. Um, you know what? Um, you and Dan, you and Dan both said Utah, so I'm going to go with Nola because to... all right. The contrarian. Nola is really good at home. And shall we find out what uh, the Toonie says? Again, heads for home, tails for away. It's going for Utah. Utah, all right. All right. The battle of two of the best looking kits in Major League Rugby. The Saber Cats versus Old Glory DC. Okay, and we should explain that Dan has gone for DC. Derek, who do you have? Man, I despite the fact that their defense played well last week, even though they still lost. So I guess maybe they could have played better or should have played better. I don't really know. Um, I, I don't know. I still don't have much faith in Houston's defense, man. And Tusatala as the scrum half, that's, uh, I feel like that's going to be a problem for them. So I got I to gotta go DC on this one. Of course, well, look, I'm glad that Houston's defense is bad once again. Probably means that um, DC gets shut out in this game. Yeah, so this is this is another um, trip to the Aviva, um, but as was proven uh, this weekend, just gone that being home doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you're gonna get a win. And you know, I I'm going for DC as well. I think that uh, DC have just been playing better recently. Obviously, their games against um, LA and Utah. Um, 
didn't go the way they wanted to, but they have a good attacking pace. They have good defensive pace when Mm -hmm. it's definitely needed. Um, And yeah, I, so I'm, I'm going to go with DC. Now the Toonie says, let's not fall over. It's unanimous. It's DC. DC, even the Toonie knows that. Okay, now we're going for the battle for the Northeast because we have New York versus New England. And Dan went for New York. And th- this one, we'll go for the Toonie. The Toonie can speak first. You know what I mean. The Toonie is going for New England. Toonie's let me down a couple times this year, so I'm going to go with Rooney. Rooney. Okay. Oh, Rooney also can't hope. I'm I'm also banking on the fact that Rooney scores a <laughs> try at some point during this. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's the uh, issue at this point. Um, yeah, this one this one was tough as well. I had to consult the Toonie beforehand, and uh, <laughs> I wasn't entirely sure which way to go um, because that's the thing is that New York would normally I would back them, but their recent form in the past couple of games has just been. Um, kick for the post. Now, obviously, against LA, that was more to do with the um, weather. But, yeah, I really think they could have made a bigger impact against um, Austin. You know what? I'm going to go for New England. Let's have some fun. As long as Dougie Fife scores, I'm all right. Well, Dougie Fife can score. All right. Death taxes, Dougie Fife scores. Okay, we are going for the final game of the round. It is Seattle at home versus Atlanta. I think Atlanta's Atlanta's kind of rolling right now. Um, I think their defense, um, their defense reminds me of what we all used to think Seattle's defense once was. Um, they need a cool nickname though, and um, I don't know, man. I still, I still just kind of feel like like much like. To me, still, like, why would you ever pick against L.A.? Although I think Austin can give them a nice little run here. Still, like, to me, it's just why, like, I just can't, I feel like I just can't justify choosing Seattle in against any team in the league at this point. So, I don't know. We're going to Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, well, oh, I think Seattle had the chance uh, this past weekend to prove that they – were still like, the team from 2019. They still had the capabilities to perform, but you know, I'm just left disappointed. So I'm going with Atlanta as well. But they're back at Starfire, though. I think Starfire makes a difference to them a little bit. Um, that game against Old Glory, I don't think we mentioned it, but that was basically at like 9 a.m. for them too. Okay, well. As I was flipping the coin, I had a bit of a screen freeze, and I think it's because it's a very controversial decision, considering we've all gone for Atlanta. The Toonie went for Seattle. Well, I think uh, I think we've talked about enough rugby for one night. And so, uh, Derek, where can people find the podcast? Where can they interact with us? Yeah, so uh, you can find the podcast at LaRouge Rugby um, on your favorite social media network. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's all the same at LaRouge Rugby. Um, you can email us too if you want at LaRouge, LaRouge Rugby Podcast at gmail.com. Um, 
I kind of set up the email address, although I don't really use it for a whole lot. So um, you know what, why not? Why not put it out there? Maybe we'll get some use out of having it. Um, and then uh, I know for myself, I do a lot of like match reports and articles based on the Arrows games on Layman Sports. And Stu, I know you do a bunch of videos um, at the end of every week on uh, Hardline Rugby. So look up those channels as well. And um, dude, we got, a, we got a game to go watch in like 20 minutes here. So we'll- uh, Yeah, so we'll gotta be- get ready. So uh, Derek, thank you for joining me this week uh, to Dan and Kat, happy respective birthdays. And to those of you listening and watching, thank you for joining us and we will see you next week.